This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Bob Comsick. Happy Thanksgiving. So, how was your holiday lunch or dinner? Did you celebrate perhaps uh, a bit earlier, maybe Saturday or yesterday as our family did? Or is that the turkey that we smell in the oven right now? Whether you've already had yours, complete with stuffing, cranberry sauce, pumpkin pie, or are in the midst of preparations, was it, will it be a fair-sized gathering? As COVID cases creep up, are you concerned about get-togethers? 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-744-740. Join our conversation, which right now is going to start off and include the Zoomer Squad, as it does every Monday. Bill Van Gorder, Chief Operating Officer, Chief Policy Officer of CARP. David Kravitz, Vice President, Zoomer Media and Chief Membership Officer of CARP, and John Wright, Executive Vice President, Maru Public Opinion. Gentlemen, happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. Hi, Bob. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Hi, Bob. Same to you. John, now you normally take the pulse of the public and quite possibly somewhere along the line, including the thoughts of someone listening right now. So let's turn the tables. Have you and yours celebrated? Yes, we did, actually, a couple of nights ago. We got an early start at it, and we gathered our family together. It's uh, an annual tradition. The one thing we didn't do this year was travel to um, to north of the Ottawa Valley, where we normally do. It was uh, We kept it down to people in the city we hadn't seen for a while. So uh, it was all great. Uh, it was wonderful to get together. Uh, Bill? We, uh, we're actually uh, not celebrating uh, in bits and pieces. Uh, we're still not comfortable about having uh, uh, great large groups uh, together. So uh, uh, this afternoon when I'm finished here, we're off to uh, a spaghetti uh, 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 dinner with uh, part of our uh, part of our family. But we're still uh, we're still being careful about uh, large groups of any kind, especially uh, groups that include children who are now unmasked at, at school. Uh, we have people who are uh, nearing their 80s and we want to make sure that they're all kept safe. Okay, and uh, obviously everyone approaches things differently, and that's to be expected and respected. But, Bill, spaghetti, you've got at least a little a slice of pumpkin pie. I know it's actually apple pie. Today. Oh, apple pie. Okay. All right. David. <laughs> this, is no, this is Nova Scotia where I am. It's, oh. it's apple time in Nova Scotia. All right. Very good. David. We uh, we did ours, like John, we did ours on Saturday. We had... Um, totaling our household. We had seven people. We did the entire traditional turkey, uh, stuffing, cranberry sauce, uh, the whole the whole package. And um, so we got it done on, on Saturday. And uh, happy Thanksgiving to Debbie in Parkdale as uh, she joins the conversation. Go ahead, Debbie. Yes, we celebrated yesterday at St. John's Catholic Church on Cowan Avenue, Mm -hmm. just a little bit west of your Zoomerplex, and we had just over 60 people, and it was like seven to eight people to a table. We had everything, and even after the eating, there was draws, and there was even people up doing dancing and line dancing. Did you it was find just so wonderful? We hadn't done since what, probably twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen. Well, that's when the thing started. So I thought, right. yeah, you know that if that started in nineteen, I thought maybe we didn't have these fun things till just before that. Now, as far as you were saying, around whatever six, seven, eight to a table, and you were everybody comfortable with the the distance between, yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. And I was sell- I was a ticket seller, so I more or less got to eat for free. Okay, that's always good. And the tickets were twenty five dollars, but you got everything, including wine, mm-hmm. and then the chance to win wine. What about the the 
evening altogether. It sounds like it was a good time had by by all. But did you notice maybe at any point, kind of looking around the the church there in the in the room and looking around, still a person here or there uh, wearing a mask or masks? No, no, not many. I don't remember. We're wearing them. Mm-hmm. Okay. But, Very um, good. you know, it's difficult to wear them if you're eating and drinking. Right? No, of course, of course. And this but... happened in the noon hour, so they were probably done about maybe two thirty, three o'clock, really. I just thought after, you know, get up and you were saying dancing and whatnot and maybe yeah, socializing. Yeah, they were doing that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Some of them were even line dancing because they were doing the same thing at the same time. Mm-hmm. Got it. So yeah, I, yeah. I'd call it that. Yeah. Well, thank you for that, and uh, glad to to hear that you had a good Thanksgiving, and uh, all the best to you, Debbie, in Parkdale, and thanks for calling in. Thank you, dear. Okay, thank you. Guys, just, um, you know, it it seems some, in in getting the the view from, you know, 30,000 feet or whatever, smaller gatherings, uh, not comfortable getting together in, in, in large numbers yet. Uh, have you had a chance, and maybe David, we'll, we'll start with you, maybe leading up to the holiday or over the weekend, getting a sense if others kind of followed suit and did similar, similar gatherings, similar sized gatherings? Well, from what I know, anecdotally, just the people yeah. I know, the, the decision to have it Saturday, Sunday, or Monday is really just, you know, an individual thing. I don't right. think it's driven by any other concerns, you know, COVID or anything else. And in our case, and I think in the people I know, the size of the gathering is, you know, very much constrained by, you know, are you, are you playing host? Are you having them in your dining room? And if so, how many people can you, right. can you see? I think it's the same as every, I'm not aware of any, um, difference this year, um, being maybe the first year, I won't say COVID's over, but the no. people are more relaxed about it. I'm not aware of any difference in the planning compared to, you know, five or 10 years ago, when it would just be, you know, what day are you going to pick? Who's coming over? Is it your turn or their turn this year? It's like the, the, the usual, you know, planning um, constraints, but I'm not aware of anything unusual. And uh, John, you mentioned uh, not going up toward the Ottawa Valley this time, but basically staying closer to, to home with people you haven't seen, be it f- uh, family and or friends you haven't seen over the past couple of years or so. And uh, in terms of others that you know, maybe anecdotally, kind of similar approach that you've taken or maybe David, some of the points he made there? Yeah, I think people are still a little careful about who they see right now. I mean, we're very thankful that we've had these vaccines, that we continue to have them, and that older people now hopefully are getting them. What I actually found this time out was that people are traveling, and I mean outside of the country. My brother and sister-in-law left for Spain on Saturday. Uh, I have numerous friends uh, who have gone to Italy and other places. I think we're still in that stage where people are wanting to travel, but not necessarily inside the country. They want to get out and move around. That was kind of weird. We, we normally have a much larger gathering, but many people, in fact, are on the road in a way, uh, but but in the air mostly to, uh, to see other places. Uh, other relatives, in fact, who we were with um, this, uh, this Thanksgiving dinner are on the way to Ireland, England, um, and to France. So people are still now coming out of where they were, spending money and wanting to travel, which is another indication that many think that we're past the high point of uh, of the pandemic. Bill? What I'm noticing uh, and getting back from our uh, CARP members and what I've observed uh, myself, and, and we were in a couple of different parts of the, the province over the last uh, few days, is that... Uh, Older uh, Canadians are still being very careful. They're tentative. They're not. Uh, they're not sure uh, that uh, that things are safe yet. Uh, they're wearing uh, masks uh, still whenever they're in a uh, in a large uh, group. But there's uh, there's still a lot of concern that uh, uh, that although uh, we'd like to think that COVID. Uh, was over there, very concerned that it's not. So they're taking appropriate uh, precautions for themselves. Now, we we had um, 
we're we're talking about Thanksgiving, but obviously in terms of how it's uh, been affected, influenced, and uh, with with COVID still being in the air, so to speak. And we had Public Health Ontario just uh, the other day pointing out how they'd noticed the numbers are starting uh, starting to go up, and especially uh, noticed an increase among those uh, eighty and older. And then we've got this here. Uh, a number here, as many as 150 outbreaks in long-term care homes in Ontario as of Saturday. This time last year, just 14, 10 times, a little over 10 times. Your level of concern, high, mild, none. John? It's high. I think we've got, uh, I mean, there's a certain concern that we have in contained spaces with elderly people that we've got to be prudent about and make sure that we are on guard. I'm not convinced that all of the clean air opportunities have been taken advantage of. I mean, the government shelled out an awful lot of money for HEPA filters in certain parts of the, you know, the, the province, especially in the, the schools. But there are different time, kinds of technologies now that help in that regard. I don't know what you do shutting down um, access to people is is clearly a, a great disservice and difficulty, but we've got to be very prudent. Those contained spaces um, can be dangerous, and we've got to be on guard for them. What about you, David? Well, I, I, I have a high concern because generically or automatically, uh, older people are more um, are more at risk of a serious uh, effect of this. But I. Uh, uh, I'm very worried also about the complete lack of context or information as to what this even means when you think of the tens of thousands of people in nursing homes. Um, uh, you know, what does it even mean? An outbreak could be a couple of cases. True. Second, second thing is that we don't know um, what the effect of it is now with vaccines. Is it true that if you're vaccinated, you get it, but you get it, you test positive, but it's less serious than it would have been two years ago without the vaccines? What are the treatments that are available compared to two years ago? Um, this could be as um, annoying, but not deadly as just the flu, which itself can be deadly. Um, there's just so many bits and pieces of information that we don't have. And it's, so it gets reduced to a headline, 14 last year, 150 this year. Uh, I don't know what that means, to be candid. I, I can't tell. I'm very concerned because I'm always concerned about health risks of older people, for sure. But I don't even know what that statistic means. And I think that the uh, the public health people would do well to say, well, more outbreaks, but what does that mean? Did they, that mean they have to go into the hospital? That means that the cases are serious? Does that mean that they just tested positive, but they're otherwise okay? Um, how can we be expected to even uh, react intelligently when we've got these bits and pieces flying around all the time with no real, uh, you know, in-depth look at it? Valid points and valid questions might make it harder on on our our last uh, member of the panel here to to, to weigh in. But uh, Bill, do you basically agree with uh, with David? I mean, it, it, of course, it's a headline, uh, and there's so much more behind any set of numbers. But anyway, go ahead. You're right. Absolutely, absolutely. I certainly uh, agree with everything that. Uh, uh, David said, and uh, uh, we just need to push the uh, government to take more responsibility for explain for not only explaining, but putting people in a position to make decisions based on on all the evidence, not just the headlines that we're we're seeing. When you know the the government in Ontario has gotten rid of the the uh, panel that was. Uh, uh, in charge of looking after COVID and reporting during the time way too early. Uh, they did that because these questions uh, have come up. And, and David's right. You know, one one uh, case uh, can, can be determined as an outbreak in a long-term uh, care home. But what are the effects of those? Were the 40 last year multiple peoples or the 140 this year uh, just one case in, in each? And how do we make a judgment? And that's that's what's making older Ontarians so 
uncomfortable about right. making decisions for their own health when they're not getting good information and good advice from the people that should be giving it to them. 416 Quite possibly you have somebody, a loved one in a nursing home in long-term care. You'd care to weigh in. Please uh, join the conversation and uh, take part in our discussion here concerning Thanksgiving and or the situation with the uh, rising the rising number of COVID cases that we're seeing and that experts believe uh, could very well keep going up for the next little while. Can we now just turn a little bit to the toll, the emotional toll? I mean the the physical toll of uh, from the disasters, hurricanes Fiona and and Ian are are quite obvious, uh, especially in the the immediate days that followed those storms passing over parts of the U.S. as well as uh, eastern Canada. Fiona didn't spare Atlantic Canadians, as uh, many remain without power, and the cleanup uh, will take quite some time. Bill. You're out in the East Coast. Were you and family, anyone you know, affected uh, by Fiona? Well, cer- certainly many people we, we know. We were fortunate that the, uh, uh, the hurricane went up through Cape Breton, PEI, and, and uh, western Newfoundland. So we were on the, on the, the, uh, the good side, if you can say that, of the hurricane with our winds from the north and not just uh, lots of mess where we live, but they could be, be cleaned up, but nothing devastating. But on the other side, PEI, Cape Breton, uh, western Newfoundland, I mean, there were, there were communities that were literally wiped off the map, uh, came through houses, uh, that, that had stood there for, for, uh, scores, if not over a hundred years being swept into the sea. For those of you who have visited uh, PEI and, and been on those beautiful sand beaches on PEI, those beaches are gone. They're completely gone. They were they were washed uh, they were washed out and, and no no idea when the sand will uh, will will come back. And uh, thousands and thousands of people still without uh, still without power, still waiting. People trying to rebuild and not sure uh, whether their insurance has covered uh, them. You know, one of the things that was announced federally was uh, uh, $300 million uh, right. uh, to Atlantic Canada to, uh, to help with it. And that's, you know, that's a, a drop in the bucket when you think that that includes putting wharfs and public facilities back together as well as uh, uh, in individuals. Uh, certainly uh, uh, the, uh, the worst, uh, ongoing results of a hurricane that's ever been experienced in Atlantic Canada. And the the emotional toll is no less on seniors than any other uh, demographic. Uh, turning to what uh, the medical examiner down in uh, Lee County in Florida is saying that two men in their 70s took their own lives one day apart after facing their losses from from Ian. I mean, uh, David. Well, I think that the, I think there's two topics at work here. One is that um, the devastation, the hurricane doesn't know how old the people are that it's, uh, that it's uh, hitting. So you're going to get all kinds of individual anecdotes and tragedies. And I think Bill is, uh, Bill's description was very vivid. I feel it very closely because I have a brother who has a property in PEI uh, near Kensington on the north uh, on the north uh, shore and uh, luckily his his house survived but with, with a little bit of damage so he was lucky but there's no question but i think the big problem here is with all these events and i remember uh, bob i can remember we've had discussions like this during blizzards that the, yeah. the physical constraints on older people their ability to get out of the way their ability to um survive uh, or thrive, or just, you know, survive the storm, but also move, uh, escape, um, adapt to uh, maybe dramatically worse physical uh, conditions for a couple weeks or months. Those are all disproportionately affecting, um, you know, seniors, older, whatever adjectives you want to use. So when these uh, natural disasters occur, there's an extra set, I wouldn't say, I'd say call it an extra set of burdens 
on those who are older and, uh, you know, would be physically less robust for sure. So I think there's a lot of, uh, a lot to be worried about uh, with when these uh, situations come up. John Wright, um, any family, friends, be it uh, down east or uh, down south? Well, yeah, my uh, my son is at Dalhousie University, and so oh. it was a really interesting time frame. They uh, they were in the path of it, and then it skirted by, but still, um, they did get hit, uh, but all of them were were good. And it was the interesting part of this was just you're so near and you're, you're so far nowadays. You can be on FaceTime and you can see these people, but was the angst that was was clearly in my mind going through the checklist, you know, guys, can you go out and get the water? Can you, you know, get a transistor radio, you know, my checklist of things that I would be preparing for and then putting it in the hands of young teenagers who, you know, maybe have never experienced anything like that. And at one point my, my son said to me, dad, there's five of us living in this house and we have 10 parents on our case. Give us a break. Um, You know, it was, but it, it shows that no matter where you are, uh, if you have loved ones in the path of uh, of something that, like that, like as David said, it's, it's uncontrollable. It has no definition as to who or, or where it should go, and it's just going to follow its own path. That was our experience, and it was a great relief, you know, three days later when they finally got the power back that everybody was fine there. But uh, for those people who are still without power, for those people who are still, you know, out beyond help uh, in Atlantic Canada, it, it's got to be clearly a dystopia that uh, they would never have expected. Uh, let, we began with Thanksgiving and dabbled a, a bit toward COVID and, and wandered down toward the uh, aftermath of those uh, two huge hurricanes experienced by uh, Americans and, and Canadians. Let's uh, circle back and, and end with some uh, thoughts about Thanksgiving. After all, it is a, a time of, of, of year when we do sit around a table with however many we're lucky to have around that table and, um, and share thoughts. Usually it's somebody who kind of oversees the, the comments and then you, we all carry on with our conversations. So let's go around our radio Zoomer squad table here and, uh, Bill. Some thoughts that you have on this Thanksgiving Day, twenty twenty-two. Well, it's a good, good point, Bob. And I was I was thinking as we were planning what we were going to be doing over Thanksgiving, and and as I said, we split up our gatherings into a number of them with various parts of the the family. But I did think, you know, how fortunate we are to even be able to do that to have. Uh, I have uh, everybody relatively healthy, able to uh, gather when we look at the rest of our province, the rest of our our, our country and, and the world and what's uh, going on. We're awfully lucky here in in uh, Canada, for the most part, to uh, have it as good as we uh, do have it. And just uh, you know, a reminder to all of us who are relatively comfortable that there are many, many who, who aren't. And, and can we transform this, you know, weekend of Thanksgiving into a weekend of, of care for everyone who's not as fortunate as we are? David? I echo what, what Bill said. In our family, we always give thanks for each other and for good health and for, we kind of micro it down to the immediate, you know, we're, we've got a lot to be grateful for. But in the wider context, um, I think Canadians should be thankful that we are essentially um, uh, observers of a lot worse everywhere around the world. And it's been that way uh, ever since I can remember. My entire life has been either, uh, you know, whether it was Vietnam or whether it was South Africa or whether it was uh, wherever it was. There was always a disaster. There was always a war. There was always refugees. Um uh, and Canada's really uh, isolated from that. We can look out at the world and say, oh, my goodness, I'm glad we don't have this. I'm glad we don't have that. And I think it, it also makes you, as Bill said, aware of, you know, what can I do uh, to help the people who are suffering from these uh, unavoidable, in some cases, but unbelievable tragedies? And here we sit. Uh, what can we do to help and I think Thanksgiving should inspire us to look at our own resources and see what we can do to, to maybe help some people that don't have those resources. And John? 
Well, it was a bit bittersweet in my mind because we were celebrating the opportunity to get together and that we finally had this chance to, in many ways, gather without a lot of fear or, or you know, distance. But th- there's a great backdrop that is concerning to everybody. I mean, we do have a recession that is looming. We've had uh, all of us who have RRSPs have had some battered stocks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you turn on the television or radio this morning and you hear what's happening on the other side of the world and the hint of nuclear war. I mean, I don't want to be a downer and leave it this way, but it it emphasizes how important family is and local. And that's what I meant in, in a sense that we gathered locally. We stuck with people who we have not seen for a while. We were thankful for just having that event. It'll be a very challenging year ahead for many people. And we always have to remember that at the end of the day, friends and family count the most. John Wright, Executive Vice President, Maru Public Opinion. Bill Van Gorder, Chief Operating Officer, Chief Policy Officer of CARP. And David Kravitz, Vice President, Zoomer Media, as well as Chief Membership Officer of CARP. Zoomer Radio and the Fight Back Zoomer Squad. Gentlemen, thank you for your time, your thoughts, and all the best to you and yours. Thanks so much, Bob. Thanks, Thanks, Bob. Thank Thank you. you. Bob Comsick in for Libby's Nimer on Thanksgiving Monday, and we will take a look at World Mental Health Day next, and then we'll take a look at what's going on at Hockey Canada in our third and final segment of the day. 416-360-0740-1866-744-740. Bob Comsick in for Libby. Back after this. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Bob Comsick. Happy Thanksgiving on this World Mental Health Day. According to the Center of Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH, one in five Canadians experience mental illness in any given year. By the time a Canadian reaches 40, one in two have either had or are experiencing mental illness. Are you that one? Maybe you're not sure, but know deep down something's off. If you're experiencing mental illness, are you seeing a specialist? And how is that going? If you'd care to and are comfortable with sharing your story, here are the numbers. 416-360-0740. Toll-free, 1-866-744-740. Advocates and other stakeholders, more than happy to have you join the conversation. It might be a holiday, but guess what? The doctor's in. Dr. Keith Dobson, professor of clinical psychology at the University of Calgary and past president of the Canadian Psychological Association. Happy Thanksgiving, doctor. Happy Thanksgiving to you, Bob. The word mental, when you pair it with illness, generally conjures up negative thoughts, images about someone battling it. Now, there's no one definition of mental illness, doctor. Is it too simplistic on my part to say there are likely as many definitions as disorders and sufferers out there? Um, In many respects, that's true. I mean, oftentimes we think about mental health as a continuum, so mental health, positive mental health on the one end and mental illness at the far end. But of course, there are many different shades of gray in the middle, people struggling with short-term issues or even sometimes chronic illness, you know, concerns that they have. So there's quite a bit of uh, difference. The other thing is we do have formal definitions of mental illness, and there are many different forms of mental illness. So, yes, there's lots of different ways to experience this problem. And to say that there's necessarily a predominant uh, one in either category, not so much, or? Um, Well... Again, if we look at the epidemiology of mental illness, we do know that there are some common conditions. So anxiety disorders, depression, substance use are certainly the the main three that we see in Canada. But there are a wide range of other kinds of conditions that people can have as well. Now, doctor, what can we, should we do, and this will be real easy on my part to ask, and it might be a bit of a challenge for you. We've got time here. Okay. What? Can we, what should we do to protect and improve mental health? Yeah. yeah. 
So, uh, yeah, and I think that that's the important part of this discussion. So the World Health Organization has designated this as World Mental Health Day. And again, they've done this for two reasons. One is to recognize that people do struggle and, and do have mental illness on the one side, but also to really help us to think about and promote our mental health. Uh, when we think about the promotion side or the prevention side, uh, what I tend to do is think about the what we call biopsychosocial framework. So we look at the biological, psychological, and social aspects of being a person and think about all of these domains and the things that we can do. So biological things we can do, eating healthy, exercising, um, you know, sleeping as best we can, you know, sort of taking care of our bodies. Uh, so that's critical. Psychologically, you know, being thankful for the things that we can be thankful for, getting engaged, you know, thinking about the future, planning in as positive way as we can, um, you know, sort of basically, you know, thinking about ourselves in a positive direction. And then socially, being connected. We know that social connection is a critical aspect of mental health. And so whether we're doing it for ourselves or helping other people to be connected, it doesn't really matter. But the social aspect is is critical. And you mentioned about the World Health Organization uh, doctor Mm -hmm. uh, declaring this uh, World Mental Health Day. And I did go onto their website and took a look at the the message that... uh, uh, they have out there for for anyone who wants to to see what uh, they think we should all be thinking about and what we should all be doing uh, uh, about this before the mm-hmm. pandemic in 2019. And I could be telling you this, and you're fully aware of this, but for those not, just for something for them to think about, maybe they'd care to call in and join in and and maybe share their own experience or that of a loved one who might uh, might need some uh, some help, and they could be at wit's end, not sure just what can be done an estimated one in eight people around the world living with a mental disorder that was in 2019 one in eight people so we're talking what about a billion people about a billion people and at the same time this is the, the who saying this at the same time services skills funding available for mental health remain in short supply fall far below what's needed especially in low and middle income countries what about in countries such as ours dr dobson yeah Yeah. so the issue of access to mental health services has been recognized as a significant problem by every major group the mental health commission of canada the canadian psychiatric association canadian psychological association so we have known for a long time that access to services is not adequate. Uh, so, uh, you know, and as bad as we are, like you've just said, uh, in low and middle income countries, the situation is much, much worse. But, but access has been a real problem. The other thing that's important to note is that during the pandemic, because the statistics you're talking about are pre-pandemic. Pre-pandemic, but, right. Yeah, but during the pandemic, rates of anxiety, depression, substance oh. use have approximately doubled. Uh, even higher in some age groups. Uh, so actually for low, older adults, uh, it has not been as bad as for younger adults, but the rates of mental health challenges have gone up significantly. So one of the things that has happened, and, and this is one of the silver linings, and there aren't very many of the pandemic, but one of them is because of the need for physical distancing, we've done a lot of shifting towards virtual care. So telephone or web-based uh, kinds of services. And one of the advantages of that model is, of course, you can reach a lot of people that you wouldn't be able to reach otherwise. And so we have seen an increase in access. And we do expect that coming out of the pandemic that some of this access will maintain. But the need is still much, much greater than the available services. What about mental Health at work, an estimated, again, this is from the WHO that I'm citing these uh, mm-hmm. these numbers, estimated 12 billion workdays are lost annually due to depression and anxiety. Yep. Uh, and again, this this is not new in the, in the sense that we, you know, we've known these for some time. And in fact, I've been doing work with the Mental Health Commission of Canada where we're focusing on mental health wellness in the workplace. We have some programs we've developed and 
there are a variety of things that we look at here. One is what we call social stigma, which is, you know, the, the idea that when people have negative thoughts about others, they may actually discriminate or isolate or, you know, push people away. Uh, people also tend to self-limit when they recognize that they're struggling. So they may not apply for promotions or be as engaged at work as they might be uh, otherwise. And then there are structural stigma issues. And this includes things like insurance policies, leave benefits, um, you know, the ability to bring people back into the workplace. So, so there are a number of issues that we've identified in the workplace in Canada, and we're trying to address them through programs that have been developed. But, but again, this has been recognized as an ongoing need for some time, and with the pandemic, things have really only just been worse. What are the risks in the workplace uh, when it comes to, uh, to mental health, eh? Yeah, um, a variety of things, I would say. One is certainly social isolation and, and social exclusion. Um, so, again, we recognize that, again, people can be uh, cut off if they feel that there's something wrong with them or something that you know, makes them different uh, from other people. So, so that is probably the major issue. And, and, again, like I said earlier, people can actually adopt those values themselves and limit their own development or their own engagement. And again, with the pandemic, you know, because of working at home and the social isolation that people have felt, for many people, this has made the mental health challenges that they have worse. Uh, so one of the things we're really strongly encouraging people to do is to make social connections where they might have lost them previously, uh, to engage themselves, you know, in, in relationships. And of course, if you can, to help other people that you know are struggling, reach out to them and, and let them know that you're thinking about them. You mentioned at, at one point there about the, the stigma and discrimination, uh, people maybe distancing themselves from someone who, who might be suffering. And it, it, could it not be a case, uh, not, not necessarily doctors saying they want nothing to, to do with that person, but could it be that they just feel the person's got a lot on their plate or whatever? Uh, mm -hmm. I don't want to make them feel uncomfortable because I don't know how to approach things. I don't know what to say. So yep. it's best I say nothing and just kind of wave and, and grin and smile. And, and that's the only interaction uh, they have. Yeah, I know without a doubt. I think people have multiple different ways of responding. And part of it is the awkwardness that you might feel. And again, the sense that you don't know what the right response is. Uh, but the benign neglect can still leave the person at the other end of the phone wondering what happened, you know, mm -hmm. or, you know, still feeling cut off. So, mm -hmm. so, this, so this is an issue. It's interesting. Years ago now, actually almost uh, 25 years ago, there was a major project that was done in London, England. They called it the Befriending Project, and it was focused on people who suffered from depression. And it was a very simple intervention. Basically, they gave people who had depression a friend, you know, somebody who was willing to meet with them on a regular basis, and it had significant benefit for their depression. 416-360-0740-1866-744-740. Please join the conversation. We've, uh, we have an expert here that might be able to answer a question for you or someone you care deeply about. Throughout our conversation, Doctor, I pointed out uh, just little bits, lines here and there that I've taken from the statement that the World Health Organization has done, has posted on its website as part of uh, World Mental Health Day. And uh, it's one of their, their closing lines here where it says that the WHO says it will work with partners to launch a campaign around the theme of making mental health and well-being for all a global priority. This will be an opportunity mm -hmm. for people with mental health conditions, advocates, governments, employers, employees, other stakeholders to come together to recognize progress in this field and to be vocal about what we need to do to ensure mental health and well-being becomes a global priority for all. And finally, I was on that website and I clicked on a couple of other things and I saw something from the director of mental health at the WHO. And this might sum it up best. I'd uh, be interested to hear what you have to say, doctor. Without expressing and understanding it, we will continue to paper the cracks. Thoughts. Yeah. No, I, I think that's absolutely true. It's been said that there is no health without mental health. And certainly, I think that summarizes my opinion as well, that 
Uh, you know, we need to pay attention to the way that we think and feel and the way we behave and relate to others. And, uh, you know, our physical health obviously is important and gets a lot of attention. But sometimes, I think sometimes our mental health is not given the attention that it should be given. And of years ago, sorry, sorry I was ahead. just going to say that years ago, Sigmund Freud, who of course is well known probably to everybody listening on the radio here, a uh, well known psychiatrist, said that there are two things in life that are important. One is work, and by work he didn't mean just you know employment, but being engaged, you know, doing something meaningful, finding a purpose to get up in the morning, and love. And by love, he meant social connection. And again, I think that those two elements of our life often don't get the attention that they probably should. And of course, if you're uh, in terms of your 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 mental health can affect uh, obviously your physical health. If something's off there, mm-hmm. that goes without saying, because uh, you, can't, you can't have uh, one without uh, without the without the other. Absolutely. Yeah, Do- without a doubt. Dr. Keith Dobson, professor of clinical psychology at the University of Calgary and the past president of the Canadian Psychological Association. Doctor, thank you for your time, your views, your comments, and hopefully uh, something has maybe stuck with somebody out there who maybe just didn't have enough couldn't find it in themselves to, to, to pick up the phone and uh, maybe they would rather just listen rather than to uh, to engage in a conversation. But uh, hopefully this will will help somebody listening and maybe they can have a conversation now with uh, someone who can maybe help them or or a loved one if uh, if they're struggling. That was uh, the whole idea that here. Sounds, Doc- that sounds great. Well, well, thank you for making this a focus of today. Okay, very good. Thank you, Dr. Keith Dobson out at the University of Calgary. Bob Komsikin for Libby's Nimer going to take a break. I guess you could say it's intermission before we take a look at the fallout at Hockey Canada. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Bob Comsick. Welcome back. Canada's Minister of Sports says Hockey Canada has to continue to transition to new leadership. Pascal Saint-Ange made the comments the day after Andrea Skinner stepped down as interim chair of Hockey Canada's board of directors, stepping down after testifying before Parliament's Standing Committee on Canadian Heritage where Skinner vigorously defended the National Sport Organization's leadership group. Now, she and her predecessor, Michael Brindamore, grilled by the committee over Hockey Canada's ongoing handling of an alleged group sex assault involving members of the 2018 men's national junior team and how it's paid out settlements and lawsuits. MPs demanded in committee hearings to know why Hockey Canada's president, Scott Smith, Hasn't been fired yet or stepped aside. Hockey parents, past and present, fans, what do you make of all this? Surprised? 416-360-0740-1866-740-4740. Dr. Richard LeBlanc is Professor of Governance, Law, and Ethics at York University. He also wrote The Handbook of Board Governance, a comprehensive guide for public-private not-for-profit board members. Richard LeBlanc, welcome to Zoomer Radio's Fight Back. Nice to be here, Bob. Thank you. Let's start with your thoughts about the interim chair's uh, move to resign. Well, she never should have been chair in the first place. She didn't have the proper mindset during the testimony, and as a result of the testimony, provinces and and sponsors pulled out en masse. Um, The chair should have been independent um, from management, um, and she had a, a defensive someone somewhat arrogant attitude and it it uh, and and she she didn't she didn't really exhibit independence or an appreciation of how serious these issues are so her resignation is nice but it's it's largely immaterial you you pointed out that and we'll get back to as far as replacement and uh, and everything else but with the sponsors pulling out uh, various provincial or hockey organizations breaking off relationships stopping uh, payments uh, why are they doing this or is it uh, as obvious as the noses on our face well it's it's reputational preservation for the sponsors and not wanting to be contagious con- contagious with an organization that 
is uh, is is not producing books and records. There have been allegations of of uh, of jewelry, uh, of of uh, large televisions crossing the table, of uh, liquor uh, expense accounts, uh, 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 credit cards, and some of this could constitute, if it's in a procurement situation, could constitute bribery and, and an infraction under the criminal code. And if directors are receiving these. Uh, these luxury items, then that compromises their independence. And that, the, it, it just strikes me that there's something about this board that is, that the, the, either they're captured in some way or they're not, they're, there's, there's something else here. And uh, the, 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 they have announced this morning that they are, they meaning the Hockey Canada executives are now suing the federal government, if you can believe this, for, for, not uh, for not be, uh, compa- being compelled to produce financial disclosure. So there's there's something else here that 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 I think would explain uh, the the board's uh, uh, loyalty to to management. And I think that that the sponsors and the provinces have just had enough, and they just don't want their brand diminished um, uh, by the continued intransigence of of uh, management of Hockey Canada. 416-360-0740-1866-744-740. Don't expect any members of the Hockey Canada Board to call, but maybe you out there can call. Maybe you're a hockey parent. Maybe you've been one. He or she's grown up now, no longer playing the sport, and you're not around the rinks, rinks as much, or maybe you are one in terms of uh, what you're seeing. And now with what you're hearing, give us a call. Be part of uh, of the of the conversation. So the, the point you made there lastly about what the Hockey Canada's move there and the financial side of things, obviously, would you then say that uh, there really isn't any transparency there? No, there, there was a one-page statement in their annual report of financial disclosure uh, that has various percentages, but it's, it's not only financial, uh, uh, Bob, it's, it's uh, you know, you, you just mentioned, the, you know, the parents and, and, the, and the teams and the rinks, etc. And I've helped sporting organizations and their boards, and they tend not to have proper compliance, which is uh, a code of conduct, a whistleblowing policy, um, an alcohol policy, an anti-grooming policy. When you drop your kids off at the rink, male or female, uh, you, you want to be assured that, 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 that these types of compliance issues pu- push down into the level of, of uh, all across the country. And I think that this, that this board is missing a, uh, an opportunity to, to come clean and to say, we get it and, and uh, we, we will implement the following reforms that, you know, you, you look at the board and not only do they not have financial literacy, they don't have governance experience. Um, almost all of them are, 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 are hockey uh, re- related to the sport of hockey. Um, and that tells me that they're too close to the sport and they don't have independence of, from it. And they, they don't have governance and financial expertise. All, all these things, whistleblowing, alcohol, anti-grooming, these are all best practices. And you wouldn't know that if you're not trained on governance and financial literacy. So I think there's opportunities here for some, some serious reform, but the board has to look inward and, and, Ultimately, the, the, the number one job of a board is to hire, fire, and pay uh, senior management. So senior management needs to go. If they're, if they're now contemplating suing the federal government, I mean, you've got the wrong senior management, and I just don't think this board is up to it. So we will see where this, where this falls out, but um, this will not end well. We've got the involvement of the prime minister, the sporting minister. Um, this is a matter of our national pride. This is not something that a management team or, or a board can win. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, it would seem you touched on a few of them there as far as what uh, you would consider some of their shortcomings when it comes to uh, governance. And as we pointed out off the off the top, you've written a book on this. So if anyone knows when something, uh, you know, uh, walks like a duck, uh, quacks like a duck and looks like a duck, what it is. So you'd know. And those would be clearly some of the top shortcomings you feel that uh are at Hockey Canada. Yes, uh, glaringly obvious that need appropriate remedy sooner rather than later. So it it, could, it is blindingly obvious what the shortcomings are, and and what what is surprising is the lack of of fortitude and and candor. 
Now, we've got, of course, uh, Andrea Skinner, the interim chair who stepped down. Um, and then we still have, is that right? I believe we still have the the president there, Scott Smith. He's still, he's still correct. holding the, the... Correct. The CEO is still running the organization, yes. Can you believe that? Uh, uh, no, uh, but yes, because... Uh, I, I just think the board is is misplaced. They don't. They don't. They don't. There. There's something there. There's something that 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 is needs to be able to explain not acting in the interest of the organization. And now they're chairless. So uh, the next uh, and they don't have a full bench. Um, you have the directors. You have so anyone. The ideal chair, Bob, would be outside. It would be someone from outside the organization that has the the credibility, the gravitas, the the authority, the governance expertise, the financial expertise to come in and clean house, both board and management. Um, And I've seen that happen uh, a number of times. If it's the right person being brought in, I don't think anyone on this bench, on this board, uh, is is capable of providing the independent leadership from management that is needed. Would it take somebody then who feels they'd be qualified to do all the things you just laid out approaching them? Because the way you've explained things, the way you see the lay of the land right now, uh, unless they really feel pressured into doing so, it doesn't seem like, again, as an outsider, as all of us are, those that aren't privy to the conversations and, and in the rooms, it doesn't appear as if it's something that they they want to do unless they're still trying to figure out their next move. That is correct. I mean, I'm, I'm speaking ideally, but I think you, you judge people by what they do, not what they say. So I think they've had emergency meetings over the weekend and likely uh, they're they're continuing to entrench. And uh, a lawsuit against the federal government coming out of out of a weekend tells me that they're they're still in a uh, scorched earth entrenched mentality. And the board has fused with management. So so uh, the federal government this lands on on Mr. Trudeau's lap and and Madame Saint Ange, the the sporting minister. Um, governments have enormous power, and they allow you to exist because uh, they have permitted it. So they can very easily withdraw the Articles of Incorporation from Hockey Canada and create a new organization. And I think that, that the longer this goes on, the more the frustration is not only with stakeholders and parents and, and, and athletes, but the federal government. When, you, when you're up against a prime minister and a sporting minister, this is just not something that is advisable. So, uh, so stay tuned, uh, buckle in, and I think we'll see some some significant change in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, that's a quite powerful political power play there, indeed. Richard LeBlanc, uh, law and governance professor at York University and author with a book in that area of expertise. Thank you for your time. My pleasure, Bob. Nice to be with you. Thank you very much. Bob Kompsikin for Libby's Nimer. Happy Thanksgiving, and Libby's back tomorrow. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.